0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim nahmaduhu wa ala we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala we seek blessings on the prophet peace be upon him so a couple more points uh, relate to al-fatiha and then getting us into al-baqarah <clears throat> when you look at al-fatiha who is speaking to whom so these are the words of Allah that he is revealed to the Prophet, peace be upon him, via Jibril, alayhis through Gabriel. And, and, but look at who is speaking. When we say, you alone we worship, you alone we ask for help, so who's speaking? Um, the Prophet. So at one level it's the Prophet, but when you're reciting, peace be upon him, when you're reciting al-Fatiha, when you're reciting the Surah, you're the one who's speaking. Right when I'm reciting I'm the one who's speaking and so a way to, to, to really think about this is that a part that's often left out when we talk about the Quran is that is the subjective experience of the Quran versus the objective and I'll explain that a little piece by piece so who's the prophet peace be upon him of all the prophets who's the one that's mentioned most in the Quran yeah, Musa, Moses, peace be upon him, far and away above everyone else. Yeah. You know, number two might be Jesus, peace be upon him. Number three might be Yusuf, you know, peace be upon him. Yusuf might actually be number two. Um, you know, that's something easy, easy to count. And Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is almost never mentioned, right? I mean, his name only comes a couple times, right? And the mention of, of Nabi or Rasul, referring to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, comes only a couple times. Yet, this is all his story. And so, when he is receiving the Quran, and when he's guiding the Sahaba, may Allah be pleased with him, and when he is interacting with the opposition from the Quraysh or from other tribes, he's a character in the story, yeah. right? Even though he may not be part of the words of the Quran, he is a character in the story. Okay, And this plays out a couple of ways. One is that you know, he's the one who's receiving the ayah, which is then affecting him and causing him to do certain behaviors, or causing him to think about certain things and then make choices, okay?
1: You mean like so he teaches Quran? Like walk Quran? I don't know.
0: A- so him being the walking Quran, yeah. so we're trying to make sense of how it works. Yeah. So it's like, imagine someone puts a dosage of something inside of you, of medication. And it makes your body do certain things. Okay? So the Prophet, peace be upon receives ayat. Yeah. Okay? Which essentially become part of him. Okay? You can't separate the Quran from the Prophet, peace be upon him. On a bookshelf you can. Here's the Quran. Here's the hadith. Right? But in terms of the living reality, you can't separate the Quran from the Prophet. He's literally the walking Quran. Yeah. And what we're saying is that when he is receiving an ayah, especially an instruction... He is immediately implementing it, okay. Uh, to the point that it might be fair to say that he can't not implement it, okay. okay. And we also see that with the Sahaba, right? Because we often talk about that with the the, uh, the ayat, this the ayahs, uh, the verses um, prohibiting alcohol. That when the final prohibition of alcohol came down, the Sahaba are they're all pouring it out into the street, yeah. and so part of what is our appreciation of the Sahaba is their dedication to the Prophet, peace be upon him. And their dedication then to what he is giving them, which is uh, Wahi revelation coming from Allah, yeah. right? And they are dedicated to embodying it, okay?
1: And getting back to the thing you're saying, um, looking at the Quran objectively or not, yeah. should we all be able to think of Quran as being given a message to us? Okay, I mean, So, that's
0: or so, so at one level, Allah is speaking to you. Yeah. Okay. But he is speaking to you through Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Yeah. Okay? So it's almost as though <coughs> the words are there for you. Yeah. But the best way to understand the words is by looking to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Yeah, right. And it's interesting because if you look at books of hadith, you don't find much in terms of explanations of ayahs. If you go through Bukhari, you find these super slim sections Relate to explanation of ayahs, maybe you'll find something more, the virtues of some ayahs, like the virtue, the benefit of reciting ayatul kursi.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. And, and part of that is because the whole of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is he's having these ayahs yeah. placed within him by Jibreel, salam, with the result being action. Yeah. Okay. And so that action is the implementation of the Quran. Yeah. Right? And so, so what I'm saying then is that... <clears throat> Now, you, when you're reading the Quran, you are a character in the story. Okay? So, it's the Prophet, peace be upon him. He's a central character in the story. The Sahaba are characters in the story. And you're now a character in the story. Okay? So, think about this. When you're reading, um, you know, the the verses, either in translation or, or the actual Arabic. Yeah. You know, like you're saying to Allah, you, we worship. Okay? That's you saying it. To Allah.
1: So, okay. like, as an example, like, when I read surah, they yeah. yeah. talk about, like, whispers in their hearts. So yeah. I think as a person, I need to avoid
0: the yeah. whispers. I mean, I don't know if that's... Like, so, you, like, so, so, those are the whispers of shaitan. Yeah, yeah. And be aware that well, that's where shaitan is trying to get you. Yeah, He's yeah. trying to get into your heart. Yeah. So right? Just, yeah. He, and, so, and so, even looking at that surah, how does the surah begin?
1: Say, I seek refuge with the Lord of the people.
0: Yeah. So, right there, it's an instruction that you are being told at one level the Prophet, peace be upon him, is being told and then by extension you are being told say the following بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ النَّاسِ and so, so it's the same point point. and another way to frame the same thing um, is that in our tradition knowledge is to be embodied okay? you're supposed to live it And the hard part is that our style of learning in our society is disembodied. Meaning, if I'm studying the history of Germany, if I'm studying the history of Christianity, if I'm studying computer science, um, I'm not studying the history of Germany to become German. right? That sounds goofy. And if I'm a Muslim studying the history of Christianity, if I'm a non-Christian, if I'm an atheist, agnostic, secular, if I'm studying the history of Christianity... Uh, it's not being taught to me to make me Christian unless I go to a seminary. But if I go to, you know, Northwestern, if I go, you know, et cetera, yeah. I'm studying the history of Christianity to have knowledge of it. Yeah. But there's nothing to embody. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you are studying an ayah, when you're studying a hadith, your goal is to live it. Is that
1: why I remember I was reading thing about when well, Qatab had like, been very slow, like, yeah. like, like slowly, because like, he has to embody yes. it. Yes,
0: it took them like two decades just to finish Al-Baqarah, right? Yeah, I'm going to,
1: that's why I, for me I keep on working on Surah sort of Surah sort of Fala, because, you know, yeah. it's like very small, but it's like very obvious that yeah. I have to work on this, yeah. so... And
0: embody it. Yeah. Ah, so I'm gonna come on in. And so, so this is a very, very important point, because if I, if I, if we have a room full of, of X number of Muslims, let's say 20 yeah. Muslims, yeah. and we had every Muslim dig deep into their memory and just list out every hadith that they know, even if they just know a couple words of it. If you have a room full of 20 Muslims, we probably have, among all of them, probably about a 1,000 hadith. You know, just you two, okay, regardless of what level of knowledge you may think you have, um, between you two, there's probably a couple hundred hadith at least, right? It might be just a piece of a hadith, five pillars, the prophet used to sit well while, while drinking, while drinking water, you know, actions are judged by intentions, whatever the case may be. Um, but then if the question is, how many of those hadith do I embody, then the number becomes very small. And so the goal with with knowledge of deen is that it's more than mere reflection. Mere reflection is a big part of it,
1: yeah.
0: but that's what you do with like philosophy and such. Um that the goal is embodiment. Okay. And if a person takes that approach, that if you get just a small hadith, okay, and you start trying to practice it, um, and you make that your practice, that okay, I'm not concerned about getting more knowledge until I've gotten this nugget, and now I'm going to practice it, you're going to see yourself transform. What will otherwise happen is that Year after year, you're going to go to classes, you're going to listen to lectures on YouTube and recordings and stuff, and 10 years from now, you're still the same person. And the only difference is that now you have more knowledge to clutter your thinking, right? And so really, really, really try to embrace this idea of embodied knowledge. Now, to take that point a step further, to some degree, all knowledge is embodied, okay? So if I'm studying the history of Germany, never having walked in Germany, in Ger- I mean, I've been in Germany, and I've studied German, but uh, if, I, if, uh, if I'm studying the history of Germany and I've never even set foot in Germany,
1: yeah.
0: uh, it is still affecting me. Knowledge is not value neutral. Every bit of knowledge that you gain, even if you don't practice it, does affect you. Yeah. It's not possible for knowledge to not affect you. Just like every bite of food that you take in every drink you take in is affecting you, right? Um, at the very least, it's affecting you physiologically. Yeah. So that is also don't yourself in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, it's, so uh, overloading yourself in knowledge is like overloading yourself in food. You're giving yourself all this other stuff that's going to slow you down. I mean, I'm a living example of it, right? And, and so the same thing, um, take that the knowledge will start becoming a burden for you. Yeah. And this is where you see a lot of young people get really messed up. And young people, I'm saying like high schoolers and younger, that they've been fed all this knowledge that they don't know how to, how to negotiate. And it, it strains their Islamic development to the point that it might ruin their Islamic development, right? And, and so, so the point being that if I'm studying chemistry, okay, uh, there's something in there that I'm embodying more than I might realize, Right? That would be for you to, you know, as as chemistry expert to figure out where that would be. But a way to think about this is that if I'm a physician, yeah. right? I mean, we all have a thousand physicians in our family. And is your dad a physician? Yeah, mashallah, close to home. And your sister's almost a physician, So, Yeah. Is your mom a physician too? Okay, good. You have uh, physicians in your immediate family? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just can't escape because it's, it's 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 genetic. Yeah, yeah. So and mashallah for all of them. So 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 the point being that. If I'm a physician and I'm spending eight hours a day okay, uh, with people coming to me ill and I'm trying to figure out where's the illness and then what is the cure, if you're doing that person after person after person eight hours a day, that's going to become a lot more part of your thinking in things outside of medicine. Okay? It used to be, I can't do this as much anymore. Uh, maybe because I've gotten dumb. I don't know what it is. But um, it used to be that I would talk to a person for a little while and I could figure out what career they're in. By the way, they would talk about things. I could figure out if someone is in the sciences, if specifically if they're in the, if they're in the medicine, if they're in you know, pharmacy, if they're in business, if they're in law. Um, and usually I get tripped up when someone's in literature because you know, we don't have too many of those people, right? And, and the point is that what you do all day long, professionally, you're going to internalize. More than you might realize. So whether it's journalism or chemistry, you know, or I don't even know what what we'd say I do, but the point is that um, so I'm saying that one level, the knowledge of our environment is not by con it's not consciously embodied knowledge. You're just taking information in, but it is embodied. You know, you just don't realize it. So we should
1: strive to embody good knowledge,
0: but not yeah. bad knowledge. So so the way then to address that is to become extra vigilant of trying to be conscious of embodying other knowledge. What do you like knowledge of deen? Right.
1: I mean, the approach I take, I mean, at least right now, I kind of like reflect back a while to learn and try to relearn everything. Yeah. Like slowly. Yeah. And then find people talk about it. Uh-huh. I mean,
0: I That's a big part of it, right? So at this point, we haven't had any commands. Right. I mean, we had al Fatiha, There's no commands there. There's no instructions. But it is a way of thinking. And one big part of it is, how do I think about Allah? Okay. Do I truly, if I'm being honest with myself, if I'm being brutally honest with myself, do I think of Allah as one who's giving me mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy? Okay. If I'm not there yet, then I have to take time and really, really work on it. Right. I have to really put in effort to try to see what Allah is putting me in and putting me through as mercy. Okay. Uh, otherwise what happens is that I'll come across other attributes of Allah and I'll come across other attributes of Allah it's like yeah I know yeah I know that's God yeah that's God but so what right And but the point here is that each ayah is a very very heavy heavy thing with something to embody and also since
1: you know for the revelation, it took 23 years should we think yeah. that's a long journey anyway so it's
0: not so that's 23 years with the prophet in front of you yeah, yeah. so peace be upon it imagine how long it would be without him yeah yeah, I mean, it might be much, much longer, right? I mean, to even put this point in perspective, like you, your point, uh, I probably—this is not exaggeration—I uh, don't even know how many years. I have probably spent five years, maybe longer, just reflecting on Al-Fatiha and the first twenty ayahs of Al-Baqarah. Right? I would read more, but most of my reflection was just on those ayahs, right? Really, really internalizing them because I didn't even feel ready to go further. I mean, I still would read cover to cover, read cover to cover, read cover to cover, taking notes, taking notes. But the, almost all of that was to get more and more insights on the first 20 eyes of Al-Baqarah and Al-Fatiha. I mean, to the point it became a running joke in my family. And it, it still is to some degree that if I'm going to go give a talk, what are you going to go talk about, Al-Fatiha? I'm like, yeah. And that's what we did here, right? That's what we've been doing for the last few weeks. It's literally a joke in my family. Okay, Omar's going to give an Al-Fatiha talk again. So... Uh, But all this is is basically going back to the point of embodied knowledge, which is going back to the point that the Qur'an is giving you, on the one hand, the world from an objective lens. Here's how reality is. But primarily, it's a subjective lens. Meaning, when it says in the Qur'an, Allah's most merciful, what you can infer from that is that he's most merciful to you. Right? You are part of that sentence, even though you're not mentioned, by being a character in the story. In contrast to, okay, if I'm reading, you know, some novels like Harry Potter or something, I'm not a a character in the story. I may identify with Harry, right? You know, look at all he's going through and stuff, and, and, you know, I'm sympathizing with him, or I might identify with other characters, but I'm still watching it. I'm not a participant, right? In the Quran, you're a participant in the story. You are a character in the text. So it's almost like there's a bigger novel where you're the character going through the Quran, that someone else is watching. I'm okay. so really, really take time to internalize it. And at one point, it's a very simple point, but to, and to really internalize it, it's a difficult point. Right? Um, so let's, for example, uh, look at. Let's go to Surah 12. You got a. something to look at. Yeah, on the phone. Okay. Yeah, Surah Yusuf. You, you don't have it. It's going to die. Right. okay, so, so, I mean, this, I mean, this, we're not going to go through the whole surah, but to, to cover a little bit of it. So, Surah Yusuf is about Yusuf, alayhi salam, and it begins, Alif, Lam, Ra. These are the verses of the scripture that makes things plain. Yeah. That part we're going to come back to. Yeah. And then it says, Lo, or indeed, 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 we have revealed this, a lecture in Arabic, so that you may understand, okay, la'allakum, so it's speaking to you, meaning all of us, plural, so it's not even exclusively the Prophet, peace be upon him, or or the Sahaba, and then we narrate to you, that's uh, grammatically singular, you singular, the best of stories in what we have inspired in you of this Quran, and now that's speaking primarily to the Prophet, peace be upon him, though before of this, uh, you were not knowing, you are heedless, then it gets into the story when Joseph said to his father oh my father I saw a dream in a dream eleven planets and the sun and the moon and I saw them prostrating themselves to me okay at one level when we see when we see this ayah when we hear or read this ayah we're capturing a moment from history okay Joseph is talking to his father I just had this dream okay but how do you become a character in that moment in this ayah how do you answer that so I'll give you the other backstory. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, about ten years into his prophethood. So now he's about fifty years old, okay. And he is, he has now called everyone in Mecca to his message, okay, everybody. And so what does he do next? Now he's going to the town next door, to Daif. Okay. Now what has also just happened is that his uncle has died, who was a source of protection for him. His wife has died who was a source of, like, internal support for him. And so this is also the year of sadness. Okay. So he's also hoping that somebody from Taif will give him protection. Okay. And so he goes, and then you know the story, the leaders of Taif, they all reject him. They let him go preach to the town, and the, the kids and the slaves in the town start whipping him with stones. Okay. To the point, and I just heard this in a chutbah today, I didn't know this, that one of his wives went with him, and she was pregnant, and then she miscarried. I'd never heard that, right? So Allah knows best. But in any case, so he's just gone through this year of sadness, and then he experiences what he regards as the worst day of his life. So he's going down and then down in terms of not his morale, but just the, the sheer weight of struggle he's being hit, hit with. And even think about it from the perspective that, all right, they all know him, just like in Makkah, they all know him, they've known him his whole life, they all understand his message, and he's not even calling them to something new, he's calling them to what was their original religion before polytheism, because that Ibrahim Islam built the Kaaba. Okay. And he's calling them to something that he's convinced is better for them. It's going to make their life better, not just in the hereafter, but even in this world. And yet they're all saying no. So 10 years of calling people in Mecca, 90% say no. And then here he goes to Taif, and they're, they're attacking him physically. Okay in not just, like, it's a humiliating way to be attacked, but it's humiliating that, you know, they're sending kids to pelt him. They're sending slaves to pelt him to the point that he stops, okay? And then he is uh, taking rest in this one orchard, which is owned by his cousin, okay, who's one of the masters of, of Taif, one of the leaders of Taif who, who rejected him. And that, that that leader is feeling bad so he has some grapes, and he tells his servant, okay, go give these grapes to him. That's like his way to ease his heart. Okay? And the prophet, peace mind, accepts the grapes. Okay? Even though this is the guy, this guy just insulted him and did all these horrible things, but he still accepts it. It's a nice gesture. And then he talks to the servant, what's your name? My name is Adas, because that's not a name of someone from around here. Where are you from? I'm from Nineveh. Okay? Which prophet is from Nineveh? Eunus, Jonah and the whale. Okay? Now, what's the story of Yunus? Eunice? Yunus' story is that, you know, he has his people, and in our language, uh, I hope I'm not being disrespectful to him, uh, in our language, he gets fed up with his people, and he leaves them, because they're just out of control. Yeah. And then what happens? Allah Ta'ala makes a whale swallow him, and so now he's in the belly of this whale. And he, he, he says to Allah, you know, I'm paraphrasing, may Allah forgive me if I'm saying things wrong, you know, please forgive me, I wrong myself and then he's released from the fish and he goes back to his people to lead his people now think about the fact that this is what the prophet peace be upon is experiencing just in this casual conversation with this servant okay. but he's also receiving a message from God remember this is what Eunice went through okay and you're in a similar situation now okay it, uh, you might want to just discard all these people but Yunus alayhi salam He made a choice that was not the best choice.
1: So go back to people.
0: Or if not go back to them yet, don't give up on them. Right? So it's not a coincidence that that the servant comes to him and then reminds him of of Eunice. Okay. And then what else happens? Jibril, alayhi salam, comes to him and says, okay, I've been given the command that if you want, I can destroy these people of Taif. They have rejected you. And there's these two mountains around Taif. I can have them collapse onto the people. The prophet says no. Why? What does he say? And Pakistanis love this story. Or uh, Desis love this story. I'll explain why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so he basically says, you know, if they don't believe them, maybe their kids will. Right? And then Desis love this story because then Desis say that one of the descendants about 100 years later is Muhammad bin Asim, who is said to be one of the Muslims who first brings Islam to the subcontinent. I actually don't think he's one of the first, because we have... This is interesting. You, look, you can look this up on Wikipedia. Total side point. In south, south India, there's a masjid there that is said to have been built by a Sahabi. So, meaning somebody, a companion from the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, made his way to India. If you go through the water, it doesn't actually seem like it's that far but I mean, I'm not one who's been in the water too much. And then he built a, a masjid that's been continuously there. I mean, it's been built and rebuilt. Yeah. But it's there from the, the 700s at the l- latest. Any case, so then what happens? The Prophet, peace be upon him, is heading home, and he's saying to Allah...
1: Wait, so why did these people love that? Like, so they're because they're
0: saying this is where Islam came from. So if uh, Islam uh, came I to I the subcontinent...
1: That, I thought he meant, like, their kids would be religious.
0: Well, meaning... That the, the, the theoretically, it's as though they are saying that if Muhammad, if those uh, people from Thaïf were destroyed, then their kids never would have been born, and then Muhammad bin Qasim never would have come by, and then none of us would be Muslim today, right? Yeah, and it's a it's a nice cute story. Nice. Okay. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it'd be true. Maybe all of us would be some other, you know, Scientology Indian version. I don't know, <laughs> right? Yeah, but imagine if like Scientology people, like you know, they start really becoming preachers. And it just spreads. Right. In any case, that's <laughs> totally random. Right. And so, so, then he is saying to Allah, you know, am I doing something wrong? You know, are you upset with me? Okay. If I'm not doing it, because every time I'm calling people, they're turning away. So if I'm not doing something wrong, then I'll just persist. If you're not upset with me, then I'll persist. And he receives Surah Yusuf. Okay. And what is the story of Surah Yusuf? This guy who has this special gift... Of prophecy, and his family members want to drive him out, yeah. uh, and then you know they dump him to a well, and then these people find him in a well. Maybe he's going to be saved, but then they sell him to slavery, and then this person buys him, saying maybe we'll adopt him, and then you know his wife sees his beauty and she takes a leave of her senses. She tries to seduce him, and then uh, from there. You know, she concocts this, this bogus story about him, resulting in him going to jail. And then in jail, he finds a possible way out by telling, you know, by interpreting this person's dream, and this person starts becoming a server for the king. But then that person forgets about him for years. Okay? And then finally this person remembers, and then they come, and then Yusuf is now beginning his process of being freed. That might have been years and years this whole story is taking place, right? And so that's also a lesson to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Look at what your predecessor Yusuf has gone through. This is what you're going through. So one way the Quran is speaking to us is saying, "Look at all the stories of all these people who have gone before. This is what you're also going to go through."
1: So for us, we just give
0: up. Yeah, yeah. We don't have the option of giving up, right? And there's also another aspect of it. So that story of Yusuf is, in a way, a story of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And so every character you see in the Qur'an, these are real people, um, that facet of them is a facet of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So when we're seeing the story of Moses, peace be upon him, what is much of the story of Moses? You know, he's, again, this person whose people are after him, right? And then he, uh, at a later point, he's leading his people against the same tyrants. That's also the story of the Prophet, peace be upon him. The story of Maryam, Salam, is a story of this person whose parents, you know, there's something they know is special about her. Her mother dedicates what's in her womb to Allah. And then Maryam, Salam, has this level of super, super high Iman, right from childhood. That's also the story of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So every character you see in the Qur'an, every Prophet you see in the Qur'an, every upright person you see in the Quran should say you're also seeing a facet of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him so all of them are facets of Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him in terms of their story so that's another way it is his story but then for you and I same thing like we were mentioning a moment ago when Allah tells me he's so merciful my job now is to try to really actively embody and internalize the sense that Allah is so merciful When Allah is master of the day of judgment, my job is to really, really internalize this sense that the day of judgment is inevitable, and there's no way around it. He's master, there's no disobedience of him on that day. That part, I think, is easier for us to understand, but to really internalize the fact that, all right, your day of judgment is around the corner. My day of judgment is around the corner. And then the seeking of guidance which now leads us to the beginning of Al-Baqarah. And, and so here we have al Okay, Now, what is, again, what do we commonly say? Okay, no one knows what this means but Allah, right? Now, take this uh, a few steps further. I don't know what this means, but who does? Allah knows what this means, Okay. If I can internalize that point, I am saying, I'm acknowledging that there's limits to my knowledge. That Allah is not bound by. Okay? And again, it's, intellectually it's an easy concept. It's a harder concept to internalize. Meaning, there is knowledge that I may never have access to. I may never know what al means. If I have trust in God then I can have trust that if I need to know what Alif Lam means, then I will find out. Okay. So what's built into this is one is uh, an appreciation of my own limits and another is trust in Allah. Okay. What else is built into this? How do we know how to recite this? Because if you just see Alif Lam on paper, uh, how would you pronounce it? How would you recite it? How would you pronounce it? So if I'm just some Arab who doesn't know anything, I'm sorry? I might do alam. What does alam mean? Yes, like huh? Like Alam nashrah laka sadrak, right? It's an interrogative. Yeah. Which basically it's, is it not true that the following? So alam nashrah laka sadrak, is it not true that we expanded your chest? Is it not uh, true that we expanded your heart? Right? Okay, but that doesn't make any sense on its own. It'd be like saying, is it not true? Okay, and then period. That doesn't make any sense. The word alam, uh, alima, uh, translates as pain. Avabun okay. alim. But I have no indication that that's it. So how do I know to pronounce this as alif laamim? How do I know? Because if I don't know anything about the Quran, and I'm looking at it with like, you know, the big maddas on it, that doesn't mean I'm going to know how to pronounce it, because I might think you pronounce it as alama or something. So how do I know? Yeah. Right. connected to the Prophet. Exactly. That you've learned how, learned how to recite it from someone who's learned how to recite it, from someone who's learned how to recite it, from someone who's learned how to recite it going back 1,400 years okay. to the Prophet him. So we talked about Salah, right? Yeah. That Salah, you learn how to pray from someone who learned how to pray, from someone who learned how to pray, from someone who learned how to pray. I have a student right now who's interested in Islam and he's going through the process of learning his prayer and he's really, really eager, mashallah. and so in, in like one day, he learned the whole prayer, right? Like just through a website, and, and then um, uh, he watched me pray, okay? and then he asked me to, to monitor him, like he went through the whole prayer, and so we did that, and so then another point, he prayed with a bunch of us, right? That's when you really learn how to pray. So he learned like the ingredients from the internet, but you really learn how to pray from someone else. And it's the same thing with uh, the pronunciation of the Qur'an, as well as the meaning of the Qur'an. And really think about the pronunciation. So at the time of the Prophet, the Qur'an was not put into book form. Right? Which means what? It means that no punctuation is being written down. Meaning, not only are all the words preserved... But the empty spaces in between the words are also preserved. You know how long is your pause in between these ayahs? How long is your pause in between these words? Okay, that is also preserved. Okay. But now, having said that, let's talk about the unknown. Oh, actually, no. Before I get into it, so what are we saying? That a major, major part of Islam, just like we said before, is this continuous living tradition. Okay. So even when the signs of end times is that knowledge will decrease. How? by the scholars going away, by decrease of the scholars, because that's, you still get knowledge person to person, right? You can learn a lot of things from books, but in most cases, it doesn't compare to having someone teaching it to you. You can even learn things online, Skype, FaceTime, you know, Google Hangout, but it still doesn't compare to having someone face to face. Because what else is taking place, depending on the subject matter, that person's also, you know, watching your body language and everything, right? You know, if you have a look of confusion, if you have a look of sleepiness, you know, who knows what, I, what, I, what look I have. I'm not saying that you guys look or anything, but so. Um, uh, okay, so, yeah, so I've read correctly. So, so the point being that um, it is the lived experience that's also part of the teaching process. So, so let's talk about this other aspect of it. Aleph lamim. So, if alif lam mim, if that ayah was just meme, I don't know that it would make much difference for me. If it was just lam, or let's say it was a number seven, okay, don't know. I don't know. Okay, this goes back to the point that I have limits of knowledge that I was not bound by. But tell me, what are some things that are part of the unknown? What else is part of the unknown? What would you include? So, other planets, right, including those like those seven planets, exoplanets, have just been discovered. You, you saw the joke. I'm sorry, what? What was the joke? Well, I mean, so the, the true story is that NASA um, just made an announcement like two days ago that they discovered uh, a dwarf sun that has seven planets that are Earth size uh, revolving around it. And that sun is like 38 light years away from here. So, the second we can figure out how to travel at the speed of light, it'll take us 38 years to get there. Yeah. If we can travel at speed of light, yeah. And this, But the joke about it that somebody posted was that, you know, Trump announced, you know, Trump is president, and the people at NASA are like, oh, no. And then Trump is cutting f- uh, funding for NASA, oh, no. Suddenly NASA discovers all these other places where we can all move to. So there's a, a, a gif of somebody uh, packing up, getting ready to move to one of these planets to get away from her. Yeah. yeah. So what else is in the unknown? So... The, bottom of the sea. see. "I'm totally talking to a scientist here, Mushla." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Okay. And usually, I wait to see how long it is before some people mention a few things. One is gins, right? So, but what are you basically talking about? You're talking about the, the outer limits of the world, like what is there? What's beyond Pluto? You know, wait. Pluto's about to become a planet again, right? What? I, I heard that. Yeah, I heard they might be bringing it back. Back then, then didn't they discover like another planet beyond Pluto? That's what I, I heard. I think that's
1: some conspiracy. Stuff. Oh, it's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay. All right. I, know, I, I hear a lot about it. It's all like a weird conspiracy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's not real. Okay, yeah, yeah. In a or something? Uh, Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. We so. Well,
1: we don't know a human bodies still.
0: Yeah, and so all these things that are related yes. to outer limits, and then things that are in the unseen, like like gins. What else is part of the unknown? Angels. Angels are part of the unknown, so they're also part of the realm of the unseen. So what else is part of the unknown? So there are the, so there's those things that are part of the outer limits or the world beyond our world, okay, our normal world, which includes the bottom of the sea. And if you've seen like those YouTubes, there's, like, there's a, one live YouTube of, I think it's a camera and in the International Space Station that you can just watch. Yeah. And then there's another, I don't know if it's Google or, or, or NASA, but they have cameras at the bottom of the sea where you can just sit there and just watch a live feed. In any case, which is something I do sometimes. I don't know why. But, um, uh, and then we have those things that are in the realm of the unseen. What else? What else is part of the unknown? Think about yourself. What is part of your unknown? My I mean, you don't, Yeah, your future is part of the unknown, mm-hmm. right? You may have ideas, but, I mean, I can say from my own experience, life, you know, much over 45 years. How old are your folks? Not 45. <laughs> Older? Four. Your parents are 24? No,
1: I thought I'd be. No, no, no. How old are your folks? Oh. Your parents? Like 60. Okay,
0: so they're way older. How old are your parents? Eight, four, eight, seven, eight. Okay, so your parents are more close rich, to my age. Yeah, So I'd have to call them like high and Baji and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so the point being that um, over living, you know, myself for 45 years. Yeah, 45 years. Um, I can say that repeatedly I can't tell you where I'm going to be five years from now look at any moment of my life except you know like grade school through high school um i can't tell you where i'll be in five years like my life has kept taking unexpected turns yeah. right like big unexpected turns and so i don't know where i'll be when i'm 50 inshallah if i live to be 50 but i don't know where i'll be right so that's part of the unknown what else is part of the unknown? I mean, Relate to the future, uh, what's going to happen to all of us collectively is definitely part of the unknown in this society. Day of judgment. Day of judgment, especially what's going to happen with me on the day of judgment, is very unknown, yeah. right? And and what is the point that's built into all this? One of the first points we mentioned here is trust, right? So when I think about the unknown, the question that I also have to keep with that is how much trust do I have? Do I have a constant fear that everything's going to fall apart? Or do I have trust? And that can be a very significant psychological difference, which goes back to, you know, do I truly believe that Allah is merciful? If I truly believe that Allah is merciful, then that means my default for my future should be that my future is still good. It's guaranteed that I'm going to have struggle. Okay. And it's a struggle when you don't want it, right? That's when it's struggle. Okay. Otherwise, you know, if you don't care, then it's not really a struggle. Right. Um, but do I have trust that I'll get through? Okay. And do I have trust that overall my future is going to be better? Because if Allah is merciful, then that's what that means, right? That over the course of the rest of my life, whether it's five minutes I'm going to die from now or 50 years from now, that overall... My life, in terms of what Allah's going to give me, is going to be good. Yeah. Even though when I look at the world, I hear news stories, you know, you have devastation in Syria, we have homelessness in our society, still, when I look at my future, do I have that level of trust? You look like something's processing. Yeah. Uh, do you know,
1: think about it as in good, as in balanced by day of judgment? Don't think so I'm thinking...
0: saying prior to the day of judgment. Oh, okay. So just this dunya. The day of judgment, the approach should be uh, both a, a balance of hope and fear. Right? Um, but for dunya in terms of what Allah has in store for me is my default uh, in dealing with the unknown positive and that's a conscious choice I have to make if I don't have that a lot of people don't have that
1: so more in how you view how life gives you yeah
0: because this goes back to one of our first points right what I think of Allah will inform what uh, I interpret in terms of what happens in my life which then means what i think of allah informs how i see my future it doesn't mean that it's an easy future cuz allah also promises difficulty you know do not think you're not going to be able to you know make it through or get to paradise without going through what people before you have gone through right or do these people think that they're going to go through go to paradise without being tested right so it's a guarantee you're going to be tested but even take time you know uh, outside of this class to say, do you honestly, can you honestly say that about yourself, that you have trust about your future? Again, not saying an easy future, but that you have a trust that uh, even if it's a stormy uh, trip, you're still going to make it to the, you know, to your destination. Right? Like you're in a rowboat, you know, going across the ocean. Yes. Um,
1: it's funny because um, today, I remember I literally, like remembered something. Speak, but today uh, makes I one of us. Yeah, no, I had my like a necklace, um, yeah. and then I just dropped, and then it fell into the cracks of our apartment. Whoa, and it went away forever. And then I was just like, Remember to be thankful, even in times of sadness. <laughs> so I was like, It's okay, and still in the crevices of my apartment, uh-huh. in the black hole. But I'll figure it
0: out. Yeah. So it's okay to feel pain,
1: yeah right? Yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So joy, but
0: at least, enjoy, like, yeah, at least, like, my chain is
1: still there. So I was like, la la la. I have good, nice,
0: nice. Yeah, if a person can make that their regular practice, yeah. they will be a happier person. Yeah, it's harder, okay. but it, it yeah. works. It yeah. is, right. And again, I mean, it wouldn't be a struggle if, like, it didn't hurt. Right. Yeah. Good example. It's of all things your Allah chain. Yeah. Uh, but that's but like a deep moment. Maybe. Maybe, maybe a djinn is going to see that and then become Muslim yeah, true. because of your chain yeah. and then you get rewarded yeah, so it's like, That's fine. or maybe someone else will move into that apartment at some point see this, wonder what it is mm-hmm. and then become Muslim maybe <laughs> none of those things will happen <laughs> right? Even if stay in the walls, like, yeah <laughs> exactly and you will at least have sins dropped from you for the difficulty Okay, any other questions about anything? Anything at all? So a lot of this is conceptual uh, stuff.
1: Um, this from last week. Four, four life. I mean, four life tests. Where did you get those ones from? Like ease, loss, obedience, and decisions for big problems. Like where? Like, where did I get them from? Yeah.
0: So basically, just sifting through the Quran. Those uh, are, are the four tests that we find. Okay. okay. Yeah. At some point in the future, I may discover a fifth test, but those are the four that I've seen so far. Okay. okay. Yeah. Any other questions?
1: your own lecture to my parents
0: Do they like it? Yeah. Do they learn things? They're like, but you talk so no. <laughs> but I was like, you got to know, he's as mm. and as And like,
1: no, no I came home, And all you guys talk is like, I'm trying to help. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about the talk about, like, with long it's difficult like, I remember huh? she was talking about something like that had rules and stuff. Uh-huh. So I was like, uh-huh. reading like, all from um, I was really selling stuff. Yeah. Like the way he explained it is that for the people without rule and stuff to kind of dwell around but it might uh-huh. go up and down. Yeah. But for people who have like the Quran stuff, they're like people who are armored up and go through <laughs> cool. life. Like even though yeah. they but they're prepared. Like they know yeah. things are gonna go bad but they equip themselves and go. Unlike mm-hmm. the other guy was like, you know, doesn't get everything along the way, but for the believer we have to be equipped and just go yeah. for
0: it. It's uh yeah, I mean religion is supposed to help you navigate through life. Whatever it is comes your way.
1: So it gets back to the idea like it, it prepares you for the harshness of yes. reality. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. As well as appreciating the nice things of reality, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another way to frame it um, is uh, imagine you have a river, and this is an analogy I get very often that you have to have the banks of the river as well as the water, mm-hmm. right? If you don't have the water, the soul of the river, mm-hmm. then you just have an empty ditch, okay? Yeah. Uh, a lifeless ditch. If you don't have the banks, then it's like you take water and you pour it on a table. Where is it going to go? Whichever way the gravity and the wind takes it. Okay. And, and so that's spirituality without law is that. Yeah. It's going to be driven by your winds, by the wind. And if you have law without spirituality, you have something lifeless. Yeah. Right. And so, so, yeah. And so this is also what happens in our thoughts, too. That if I don't take control of my thoughts, then my thoughts are just going to go all over the place and i can make myself like lose my mind. I guess that's what happens when people give us ads and commercials. And yeah. just bombards and everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So overall, we have to embody the cron one little by little. Yeah. It might take forever but it yeah. starts small. It's all about quality of, rather than quantity. Of, yeah. yeah. Like 10 years I don't know. Yeah. Um, then we should um, not give up. uh uh-huh. And Quran is a facet of
0: the prophet and what else? We, yeah, we have trust the unseen. You have to trust Allah about the unseen. Yeah. 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 Just like, you know, life is you're in a rowboat crossing uh, uh, the ocean and you're going to have big waves, small waves, you're going to have passive uh, water and sometimes you're going to have storms.
1: So I was asking people about the teachers, about the teachers. <laughs> That's like you yeah, but a lot of people they felt like it had like, a good negative connotation. Oh. Too. I, <laughs> so I, I have a, I
0: have appreciation for the teachers, but a lot of people don't like the teachers. Yeah, because
1: when I talked to a lot of guys within our NSA, they they, they had weird like memories of it. Like, <laughs> and yeah. then start knocking at your door yeah. and let's go for forty days. Yeah, something, exactly, something exactly. Like yeah. And one of my friends is actually one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. If you if you're someone who wants to get if you're a male and you're someone who wants to get really solid with your prayers, go spend time with the TJs. Yeah. Yeah, 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 females, I don't think they have as much of a, yeah. a good setup. All right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu Allah ilaha illa Anta nastafirukanatubi Lake ilayk, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, nashhadu wa la ilaha ilaha anta, nas taqfiruka natubh ilaykh, subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you, nashhadu wa la ilaha ilaha anta, we bear witness, there is no God but you, Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness, natubh ilaykh, and we turn to you. wa afirat da'amana, and alhamdulillah, irubillahirrahmanirrahim.